Psalm 95. Come on. That's the title of this sermon. Come on. I've got to give credit where credit's due. Nathan Leno is a, a pastor in Houston, Northeast Houston Baptist Church. He, uh, last year, or year before last, I can't remember, in a few years ago, he was one of the vice presidents of the Southern Baptist of Texas Convention, our state convention. And this year, he's up to be elected as first vice president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And we'll be voting on that in, uh, in June in New Orleans. Or July, June. But he preached a phenomenal sermon at the annual meeting of the SBTC back in uh, November. And I really, really just wanted to get a copy of it, and I was going to sit down, and I was just going to play him, because it was that good. I mean, it was incredible. Uh, it, was, it was amazing to hear that sermon. But uh, I, I, can't, I can't do that, and I didn't want to copy his sermon, but it was inspiring. I mean, when, when he preached it, immediately I pulled out something to write on, and I wrote down the passage and knew that this was a sermon, this was a passage that I was going to preach on. And then back in December when I was planning this progression, this, this series uh, that we're in right now on uh, knowing our priorities and the greater theme of on mission with God, I knew this passage had to come up. This is probably... And it's not that I planned it this way, but just in working on it. This passage, I think, sums up greatly what we've been talking about now for the past, well, four months. This, this really is a wrap-up sermon. Uh, we're not done yet. We've got another month of looking at, uh, in May, we're going to look at the fact that, or look at... Let me try again. Make sure we know what's coming. Because here's the deal. I'm going to give you a little hint. It's going to get rough. See, anytime people are on mission for God, anytime a church gets in God's will, anytime the disciples were sent out by Jesus, they experienced trials, tribulations, persecutions, hardships. Problems are coming. The, the more we focus on what God wants us to do, the more Satan is going to throw at us. Because the, 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 the more we're doing what we're supposed to, the more uh, of a threat to him that we are. If Satan's not messing with us, then we're not doing what we're supposed to. So that's next month, though. That's kind of the resolution, I think, to this, this five-month theme of On Mission to God. Today is the climax. If you remember your uh, 11th grade literature, uh, today's the climax. This is what we've been working toward. We see in Psalm 95 that, there we go, that we're here to worship. But a question that comes up is, does our worship reflect the reality of our hearts? And that's what Psalm 95 is going to ask us. Psalm 95 is going to force us to examine ourselves and see what's going on. You see, true worship is dependent upon our obedience. We don't truly worship God if we're not first obedient to God. And we're going to see that today in Psalm 95. So turn, if you haven't already, 
to Psalm 95. And let's read. Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. The depths of the earth are in his hand, and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his, he made it, his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was disgusted with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Here we have God making clear what our priorities have to be as children of his. But let's look at the passage. First, we're going to look at verses 1 through 2. We're going to see here that God is telling us to worship him with noise. Now, I know that's odd that I would put that word up there, but let's read it right quick. Read the passage. Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly in song. Now, first of all, that come, actually the word is better translated, come on. It's, it's an encouragement. It's the people who, who know what they're supposed to be doing, encouraging the people who maybe either aren't sure or just aren't doing it. Come on. Let's worship God. But not just worship. See, he goes on. He says shout. Three times he says shout. And you know what that word shout means in the Hebrew? It means shout. All right, that's why I have up there noise. Because God is actually asking for, he's actually telling us, that our worship should be raucous. Our worship should be exciting. Our worship should, yes, consist of, and he's going to get into this in a minute, of, of, of music and order and reverence. But there's a part of our worship that is just us wide open before God. Noise is what this is. Yell. The, 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 the picture here is similar to if a king were coming in and the people were gathered around down the streets as he rode through, what would they be doing? They'd be yelling. They'd be whistling. They'd be clapping. There would be just noise. There would be no order to it. These words, shout joyfully, shout triumphantly, sh uh, shout triumphantly again, those aren't religious uh, how to act in church words. Those are just pure old yell words. It, it's, it, it's the image of a football game, image of a stadium, that kind of pure joy at being in the presence of God. Now, I know we don't do that. And honestly, when we hear of a church that does do that, we kind of, mm-hmm. We look at them askance. But just, just imagine if God's presence was so real to us that when we came in, we could not help but yell and cheer 
that we were in church on Sunday morning. I think that'd be fun. I think it would be. Shout joyfully, shout triumphantly. Let us enter his presence, it says. Enter his presence, meet him face to face. You see, we have a God that we can't see. We've never seen God. Bible makes it pretty clear when we do, we're dead. Yet we have a God that we can approach face to face. We have an intimacy with God unlike anything else. A relationship with God unlike any other religion. And see, the great thing about this meet him face to face, the idea is that there's no special invitation. The word is actually the worshiper telling the worshipped, hey, I'm coming to see you. It's not God inviting us in. It's us being able to go worship him anytime. We don't have to wait for an audience with our king. We have an audience whenever we want it. Come, shout, come on, shout joyfully. Shout triumphantly, shout triumphantly. Enter his presence. These are some noisy verses. You see, it's not enough to say you worship God in your heart if your body never shows it. That's what he's saying here. That, that our, our mouths should say our worship. Now I know some of you are saying, I can't sing a lick. That's fine. We were just told to yell. Okay, you, we're not, it doesn't say yell on key. It doesn't say yell on pitch. So God is not asking for your perfection. He's asking for your worship. See, we are to be publicly God's people. Yet if we say, oh, I worship in my heart, preacher, but I don't sing and I don't clap and I don't look like I'm even enjoying what's going on, then we're not worshiping publicly. We're not professing our faith in Christ through our worship. We're not telling the world who our king is if we're bumps on logs during worship. God is telling us that worshipers should be noisy. They should hear it when we are worshiping God. Well, why do we worship him in, with noise? Because he's worthy of worship. Verses 3 through 5, For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. The depths of the earth are in his hand, and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. First we see that he is above all other gods. He, there is no God like our God. We know that there is no God, period, but our God. But at this time, they were convincing people who believed in many different gods. You know, your gods, you think they're good? Our God's better than your God. See, he, they even used some words um, that would have gotten other people's attention. When they say great God, that's the term that the Canaanites used for their God. As a matter of fact, they called their God, the Canaanites did, El. You, you may recognize Elohim. El, that's, that's a word for God. The Jews, God, through uh, Psalm 95 and whoever wrote it, took that word and said, you have no great God. We have the great. You worship El, we have the great El. We have the, be the better God. We have the greater God. He 
is worthy of our worship. He's above all rulers, all leaders. It says here that uh, he is the great king. This is the term that the Assyrians, very likely the, the group that was in power at this time, used for their god, or for their king rather. This great king. And you see, kings are always proud of their territories. Kings are always proud of their empires. And here, through our worship, they are saying, your king ain't got nothing compared to our king. Your king's got a couple of little countries and maybe some people. Our God's got the universe. Your empire is minimal. Your empire is nothing. We serve the great king. He is worthy of worship. He made, the sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. He made them. They're his. Let me ask you a quick question. What does that say about you? Did you make you? Then you're not yours. God made you. You're his. So we worship God with noise. Why? Because he is worthy of that worship. We worship God with reverence. Verse 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Again, that word come really means come in. This is the invitation. This is coming into the sanctuary. This is coming into the Holy of Holies. This is a special place. Come in. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before our Lord, our Maker. See, here we have three different positions of worship. When it says, let us worship in your translation or on the screen, let us worship, the word there is actually another word for bow low. This would be bending at the waist. That's the word. So he's saying, come, let us bend low. Let us bow low. But he doesn't stop there. He says, come, let us bow low, and let us bow down. We bend at the legs. And then he uses another word, kneel. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. You don't see this much in church. I dare say we don't see this much in our private lives either. But we serve a God who deserves our reverence. He deserves our noise. He deserves our shouts. He deserves our joy. But we serve the God who made everything. We serve the God who we should be on our face before. See, we haven't earned our spot in his throne room. It was given as a gift. Now, when we get there, we know that we serve a God that we call Abba, Father. We have an incredibly intimate relationship with him to the tune of being able to figuratively Climb into his lap. We know that someday when we get to heaven, we'll bow before him and we'll place our crowns. But then he will tell us face to face, I believe he'll pick us up and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. 
So we come, we shout, we're raucous, we're worshiping God, and then we get to this position of we are on our knees because we know we do not deserve to be here. And God says, you're mine. And picks our head up, lifts us up, and says, I love you. That's the God we serve. That is the God we worship. We worship him with reverence. Why? Because we're his. Verse 7, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. We're his, why? Because he made us. Verse, the end of verse 6, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. We're God's, period. We're his, period. So we worship him. Why? Because he saved us. For he are, uh, is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. Why is he our God? Not because he made us, not because we're made in his image. He is our God because he adopts us through the blood of Jesus Christ that we celebrated this morning. That's why we are his. That's why he is our God. We are his, we worship, because he owns us. The sheep under his care. The sheep do not tell the shepherd where they're going. The sheep do not tell the shepherd when they're to be sheared. The sheep do not tell the shepherd what the wool is to be used for. At this time, the sheep didn't tell the shepherd what the milk was to be used for or the meat was to be used for. The sheep were owned by the shepherd. He is our shepherd. We are the sheep under his care. We are his because he owns us. Really? This isn't in the verse. This isn't in the passage, this word really. But it should have been. I think it would have been great, but that's kind of my sarcasm coming out. I think the writer should have put really because right here he turns it on us. We've been set up, y'all. The author, God, knew exactly what he was doing. Because now he's going to ask us, if he's your king, why aren't you doing what he tells you? If you are worshiping him, you come raucously, joyously shouting to God. You enter into the sanctuary and you're getting down on your knees to worship him in reference. You are saying, God, I am yours. I'm yours because you made me. I'm yours because you saved me. And I'm yours because you own me then why, people, are you not doing what he tells you to do? Amen. That's the question he asks. Verses 7 through 9. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on that day at Massa in the wilderness where your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. Do not harden your hearts. Do not have an inflexibility even when you're confronted with God's commands. Stiff-necked is the word that we're used to. I think if, you're, uh, if you have a King James Version, that's probably what it says. Do not harden your hearts. Do not stiffen your neck. Do not harden your attitude. And be unwilling to turn and to change when I have called you to do something that A, you're not used to, B, you're not comfortable with, or three, you just flat don't want to do. Be ready. Be willing. Do not harden your hearts. Just like the people at Meribah and Massa. 
Meribah, the word means contention, arguing, fighting with God. Do not harden your hearts and fight with God. Number one, you lose. Period. Number two, um, didn't we just said we are his because he made us, he saved us, and he owns us, and then you're going to turn around and argue with him? You're going to contend? You're going to fight with God? Do not contend as at Meribah. Masa means testing. Do not test God. One place we're told to test God in the whole Bible, and that is with our finances. Give and see if I don't give back. That's, test me in this, the Bible says. Everywhere else, we are told specifically not to test God. Yet the people in this case did. They tested God. They said, oh, surely he's not meaning what he's, gonna say, what he's saying. He doesn't mean he's going to do this. Oh, he's not, he doesn't really call us to this. He doesn't really want us to live holy lives. They tested him. Really, God, are you really going to do you know, are you really going to punish us? Well, look back at uh, Exodus 17, 1 through 7. We're not going to turn there today, but write it down so you can go back and read the, the test, the contention, and the testing that occurred at that time. And when we test, we just say, how far can I push? How, how far can I get outside of God's will? How far can I move away from what he has told me before he slaps me back or drops me altogether and lets me go on my way? How far can we test? You see, he asks us, really? Really, all this worship because obedience is what matters. For 40 years, verse 10 of 95, for 40 years I was disgusted with that generation. I said they are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. They tested, they pushed, they contended, and they found out. An entire generation died off because they did not obey. An entire generation lost the promised land. The very thing that they had been praying for for 400 and something years while enslaved in Egypt. The very thing that they had been called out of Egypt to do. The very people who had seen the Red Sea part and had seen the quail and had seen the manna and had seen the pillar of smoke by day and the fire by night. The people that had seen tribes and armies destroyed in front of them because God was working said, no, we can't go to the promised land. We can't take Canaan because we aren't strong enough. We aren't big enough. We aren't good enough. And God said, fine. You'll never get there. Forty years, and everybody that said no died and never saw the promise. A people who disobeyed, a people who just told God flat no. And God said, They will not enter my rest. Literally, this passage, 95, ends awkwardly. The end of the passage, the end of verse 10, or verse 11 rather, is actually 
if they come into my place of rest, dot, dot, dot. It's an awkward ending to this passage. But it's a big if. Because he says back in verse 7, today, if you hear his voice, people, today, if the word of God comes to you, if today you hear God talking, and if, if you come into my place of rest, if you hear the word and do not do it, and continually contend, and continually test, and continually push, then it is a very big if you enter into my rest. See, rest, depending on who you read here, for the, the, that generation of Israelites, rest was the promised land. For us, rest is heaven. Hebrews tells us that. Chapters 3 and 4 of Hebrews tells us that rest is heaven for us. Rest in the context of this passage in 95 is also very likely the sanctuary, the temple. And see, we, we, you know, the people that they're talking to in chapter 95 that are singing this psalm, they're in the promised land. They're in Jerusalem. They're in the temple. They've got what they think they needed. And yet, God is still telling them, if you only worship but you have no obedience, then you will not enter my rest. And the people are going, wait a minute, what rest are you talking about? There's more than just the promised land. There's more than just the sanctuary. There's eternal life. And even more than eternal life, and I know that you're thinking there can't be more than eternal life. Eternal life is later. But we've got a right now to live. We have the abundant life now, John 10, 10. We get heaven later, but we get abundant life now. What is that abundant life? Blessings, peace, entering in daily to God's rest. Where do we find God's rest? Right in the center of His will. That is the only place we find rest. That is the only place we find peace. Now, I don't know, this church is old, all right, 1869 is when this church was started. And I don't know a, 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 a thousandth of the history of what's gone on and what, what hasn't been done. But I know this of churches. I know that there are churches that God has said, today if you hear my voice... Do not be like the generation that hardened their hearts, contended and tested, and then wandered for 40 years until they were dead and missed the blessing. I know of uh, any church of any age from 20 years older, I would be willing to bet has been through maybe not 40 years, maybe it's only been three or four years, but they have been through a, a time frame of wandering because a generation said no. And God is telling us today, if we will hear his voice, do not be like that generation. We have looked for three months. God has called us. And if God's called us, God will provide. 
And if God will provide, then we need to make sure that our priorities are straight, that we are completely in tune with what God is doing. And here we are today. God says, I've called you, I've placed you in a specific position, a, a, a position in time, a position in space, and now I've called you to a task. What are you going to do? Don't come to me and worship me and, and, and shout and, and bow down when you will not be obedient. We learned that obedience is better than sacrifice last week. Obedience is more important to God than our worship. See, don't be confused. And I got to thinking maybe, maybe I wasn't as clear as I should have been last week. When I use the word sacrifice, I'm not talking about giving up something of ourselves necessarily. Though we do sometimes think, well, if I give up something of myself, then I don't have to be obedient in this area. But that's not what the scripture was talking about when we talked about Saul. Saul was talking about worship. I worshiped God. I sacrificed. I did the things I was supposed to. I came to church. I sang. I listened. I dropped something in the plate. I did the worship. But he was not obedient. Psalm 95, do not come into my house and worship me and bow down before me and call yourself mine if you will not obey me. So he is telling us today, do not be the generation that wanders for 40 years and does not enter the rest of his will. See, come on, y'all. Come on, yes. Worship with noise. Yes, come on. Come on, worship with reverence. Bow down, get on all fours. Come on, yes, do these things, but do your actions fit reality? Does your worship flow from a life of obedience or try to cover up your disobedience? Where does your worship come from? Come on, do not test God. Come on, do not fight God. Come on, obey God. And come on, rest in His will. The message today is to come on. Let's move beyond the we can'ts. Let's move beyond the I don't want to's. Let's move beyond worship as a covering because we will have the tabernacle just like they did for 40 years. And we'll set it up and we'll tear it down and we'll move on. We'll set up our activities, we'll set up our events, and we'll tear them down and we'll move on. But we will not be obedient and we will never enter God's rest until we say, God, we will do what you have called us to do. Come on. Come on, come on. Jesus is calling someone today to come on. Jesus is asking, Jesus is offering himself. And he's saying, come on, accept me. Come on, admit 
that you're a sinner. Come on, believe in me. Believe that I am who I said I am. That I am the Savior. That I am your God. Come on, confess me with your mouth. Come on, accept the salvation that I offer you today. The question then becomes, will we come on? Will you come on and follow Christ? Let's pray. Lord, draw us, God. Use us, Lord. Lord, the soul here who does not know you as Savior, and right now is sitting there thinking, I still don't get it. I still don't understand. Lord, I pray that they will come on. Come forward this morning, and let's talk about it. Lord, move on their hearts. Let them know that their understanding will grow. Their understanding will increase. But now they just need to respond because you're pulling. And we'll work out the details. God, move on the hearts of our people today. Do great things through us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, come on. What is God calling you today? What is he calling you for? What is he calling you to do? Is he calling you for salvation today? To accept Christ? Come on. Let's talk about it. If you're not comfortable coming forward, put it on the connection card. That you've got questions. That you want to talk to me. Come on. Let's talk. Is he telling you you need to be baptized? There's a step that you need to take in order to follow him in believer's baptism. Come on. Let's do that. Let's follow God. You've been saved. You've been baptized. You know that, that there is more for you. That you need to be used by Him in ways that you haven't allowed yourself to be used. You have been disobedient, yet you come and you worship every Sunday, and it's just a mask for your dis disobedience. Come on. He's calling you to come on. Follow Him. Be obedient. Get in the center of His will and experience the rest that we can have when we're right where God wants us to be. Or maybe you need to join the church. Come on, be a part of what God is going to do through First Baptist Nixon in the coming months, weeks, and, uh, weeks, months, and years. As we sing, come on.